Hey everyone, this is Ben Chapman. Thank you for listening to Luminous Church Podcast. It's always an honor that you would take time out of your day to listen to us. We hope that you would see Jesus more clearly today and that you would also be inspired to make a difference wherever you find yourself. Enjoy today's sermon and God bless you. Well, good morning once again. You are in for a treat this morning, and I am so excited because we just, I want to celebrate real quickly. I was just thinking about God's faithfulness. Brandy and I, we were able to close on our house this past Friday, which is awesome. We're stoked about it, and it's just been a huge blessing. A lot of y'all know our story, but we sold our house so we could build a house and and build a house for my parents and my mother-in-law, and so we made a compound, and it's awesome, and so God's just been faithful, and it's been a year coming, and I know that a lot of you have gone through that journey as well, and so... By, by God's divine appointment, uh, he, he has allowed a guest speaker to be here this morning because I would not give you anything worthy to chew on. And so I'm excited. My friend has uh, been in Houston for the last nine years where he took over a church that was um, really dying. It had about 25 people or so. He took over the church and there was one Sunday they had 27 people total. That was counting babies and everybody. And uh, and this man is faithful and he's disciplined and he, he knows that the gospel is not just a one-time occurrence, but it happens week in and week week out, and he's incredible. So would you stand on your feet and help me welcome Chris Pate from Houston, Texas, City Life Church. All right, well, good morning. It's been a good morning so far. Don't you guys love Ben and Brandy? Aren't they amazing, amazing leaders? I remember, I think the last time I preached, we were in a movie theater. How many guys were in the movie theater with them here? Yeah, yeah? Uh, we did a movie theater for seven years in Houston, Texas. Uh, Micah and Carly McCoy, friends of ours, they drove in, and they were helping us, playing like a guitar, helping with kids. So we know the theater life, the setup, the teardown. We had many people. We were on the fourth floor of a theater. We had many times where all of our equipment was stuck on an elevator and, and, and our volunteers for roughly two hours. And uh, so it is nice to not be in the movie theater anymore, right? Uh, we've recently been in a building and we are very, very happy with all the things that the Lord is doing with us. Before I get into a message today, I want to invite any of you that would be interested. It is my last slide. So whoever's doing slides, it was on the last slide. But we have an Israel tour that we do. One of our elders, one of our elders in Houston, his name is G. Yoon. He does and he hosts Israel tours. And what this is, is not just to go and hang out and sightsee. It is a biblical study tour. And we wanted to invite Luminous Church to come alongside with us February 10th through the 9th. Anybody that could do it, it's roughly about 10 days so you're looking at anywhere from $2,600 to $3,000, and that covers everything except for your flight. So whatever you could do. I've gotten a flight to Israel for $700, believe it or not, uh, all the way to much more. So that's roughly, you'll be getting more information from uh, Pastor Ben, but he specifically asked me to put this in front of you guys. I've been to Israel now five years, uh, for the pa- five times for the past seven years, actually. And so it is just a life-changing experience 
and really seeing the story of God unfold in the land. They call it the fifth gospel for a reason. So it's an awesome, awesome opportunity to hang out and get to know. We've gone with Mid-Cities the past couple of years as well, if you are familiar with our Every Nation Church in Midland. And it's just such an awesome, awesome opportunity. So we want to invite you and cordially invite you now. Start thinking about it, planning. Talk to Ben as we continue to get you more information. But... It is an amazing thing. And seeing, as I said, the story of God, when you're standing there where Jesus is pointing to things, you know exactly what it's talking about. And we just go straight through the word. It's awesome. Speaking of story, I want to talk about story today because as a guy that led a church in a movie theater, you guys are in a movie theater. How many of you guys have seen all the Avengers now where we're all into the movies? I think our family's going to go see Toy Story 4 sometime while we're here. We love movies. I mean, we love movies. I love movies so much, right? We had a church there, and I remember when they were showing some horror film, and that's where our kids were meeting, and the movie started before church was over, and we're escorting the kids out. Don't look. Don't look at the previews. Get out of here. Because we don't want them to see that story. How many of you guys know we are in a culture that loves story? We live our life on story. We can't wait. What's the next thing going to happen with the Avengers? Or how is Thanos going to die? Or now what is the next thing? Like, that, that, that's an awesome story. I love it. And they're all the same, right? Like, they all have the same S-curve in every story. And yet we still go because we want to see what's going to happen, even though we know they're going to win at the end. We love story. Our whole life is built around story. We Netflix and we binge and we have to have more. And now they're going to come out with a new Disney type Netflix, right? And they've got the Hulu and they've got Amazon Prime. There's every kind of thing just for you to dive into more and more story. We love the context of story. In every one of us, I'm entitling this, this DNA, the core of the local church, this sermon because in each of us, in every person in here, there's a story written into your life through your DNA, what color your eyes are going to be, what color your skin is going to be, some of your personalities, all of these things are written in the story that you have, and I believe that's why we love story, because we enter into a grand narrative, a big, giant story through the DNA that we bring, and now we come into this life, and we enter, and we go, what's my story? And yet we have all of these stories that we're trying to believe. And we don't know which one to believe. There's a story about Christianity. In fact, I found recently the Barna Group and the creators of the Alpha Course did a study and said this. Nearly half, so 47% of practicing Christian millennials or churchgoers who considered religion an important part of their lives, they believe, 47% of church-going millennials believe that evangelism is wrong. Specifically, they say, it's wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in hopes that they will one day share the same faith. The core of the church, the story that we have, is the gospel narrative, and yet in our culture, 
there's a fear and a longing to not even want to share it because we don't want to come across judgmental. But this is the core of the local church. This is the core of Luminous. This is why you're here. This is why we go out from here into a world to spread the news. But here's the problem. If we are afraid to share it because we feel like it's just going to be judgmental and harsh, my question is, what story are you sharing? What story are you living? What story have you believed? In 2016, there was a protest in my city, Houston, Texas, and it was a protest that started through Facebook and aroused all sorts of people that then went out on Travis Street, which happened to be, you can see the picture here, which happened to be right next to one of our elders. His home is up on the eighth floor, right behind where this guy's holding the flag, eighth floor. And through Facebook, they gathered a lot of people to have an anti-Muslim protest because across the street is a mosque. Well, anti-Muslim people heard about this rally in this protest, so they rallied their own people, and they had much, much more on the other side. So you're looking across the other side, and they're rallying their people and yelling horrible things back at them, while these white supremacist, racist people are yelling back at them, and it became a big story. What's interesting, Houston Chronicle picked it up. And as they were there, each protester or group, the anti-protester, the counter-protester, each one was looking for the lead who actually started this thing. And here's a quote from the article. Separated by Travis Street and Houston police, the two groups shouted at each other. The pro-Islamic center counter-protesters had a loudspeaker and were able to drown out the other side. Neither realized that none of the organizers of both events were even there. That's because they were both thousands of miles away in St. Petersburg, Russia at the time. You have a group, this came out two years later, 2018, they found out all of these different stories being told into our nation from Russian trolls in order to propagate and start more and more division. Now, Russia did not start our divide, our misogynistic culture or a racist culture. They did not start that, but they merely just used that to create a story and a propaganda in order to fuel the fire within us and people believed the story what story do you believe today what story are you living by in your life what story is preventing you from living in the greater story that god has for us as god wants to put in our dna i think a true and much better story this started even from the beginning. If you think of Genesis chapter 3, if you're familiar with the scripture, you know, Adam and Eve, and then there's this snake who we know is the Satan. And the Satan did not come with hard warfare. He didn't come to Eve with a stick. He came to Eve with a story and tricked her into believing something that was not true. Did God say 
See, and the enemy does the same thing for us. It's not the hard warfare that we need to worry about. It's the soft warfare that comes in and the stories and the lies that we believe that then create a story that we live by. Let me show you my favorite person, Jesus, and the story that he came to tell. And you're going to be very familiar with the story. In fact, I was listening last week, and you made reference to this story. It's a very popular story, so we're going to be able to go through it. But I believe Jesus loved to come and speak in parables, and he spoke in story because he brought the true and better story to the world, and he was trying to get that story into us so that we can live the right kind of life and have the right kind of life. Of narrative. Turn with me in your Bible to Luke 15. You're familiar with this. We're going to start verse 1 through 3. Luke 15 says this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, being Jesus, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled. Now, j just for fun, we're going to put tax, you're going to be a tax collector today, Ben. So this side of the room, you guys are tax collectors and sinners. You're welcome. You didn't know that. That's what you are today. It's this side of the room, okay? Who are you? Scribes and Pharisees. You're the religious elite. You, you hold the scripture. You teach the scripture. Your whole life is that. That's you and that's you and you have to picture you have to understand when you're coming to the scripture what is happening what is the context and right away we have two different very opposite people with different stories they are listening to and living out and the pharisees you're grumbling come on give me some grumbling come on help me out yeah see uh it was gonna be like Rrr. i've always wanted to do that in church right just yell get mad at the preacher this man they say, receive sinners and eats with them. They're talking back and forth to each other. And I love this, verse 3. So he, Jesus, told them a story. See, God's not just interested in giving you bullet points for life. He wants you to have a narrative for life because that's how we live for God. Otherwise, we just checkbox things and think we're good, which were the Pharisees. Jesus says, I've got a better story. Check this out. He gives three parables. The first one is the lost sheep. You're familiar with it? Maybe. Um, the lost coin is the next one, and the one you really know, the prodigal son. Let's check this out. Verse 11. Jesus brings a story. He said, there was a man who had two sons. Now, we started with this. There are two different sets of people, correct? There are Pharisees and Sadducees, there are sinners and tax collectors listening to Jesus, and we have two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Okay, stop for a second. You need to understand what's going on in this culture because it's easy for us to think of like inheritance and the father like goes to Bank of America and pulls out, you know, his retirement plan and hands half of it. 
That's not what happens when in, in that time, in that culture, if you wanted your inheritance, the inheritance you wouldn't get as a son, and especially the younger son, he would get a third portion, not a half, but a third portion, and the older son would get two-thirds portion, and it would be in the land. He would have to sell off his land, take the money, and give it to him. So everything he's worked for, everything he's done, everything he's developed, the whole story that he's built, all of his creation as the owner, as the father, the son, comes to him and says, I want that. So now he has to go sell it, and then he has to give the money to his son. And here's the crazy part about in this culture if you did this. I mean, it was a patriarchal culture. It was a honoring culture. They honored their father. So to say this, it would be better if the son would have been a serial killer, a mass murderer, than to go to your dad and in essence say, I wish you were dead. You are dead to me. And I want what's mine from your death. You have to understand how strong this is. This is the story Jesus wants to portray to these two sets of people. And the crazy part is the father did it. In that culture, father said, no, you, you dead, bro. This ain't happening. I don't know who you think you are. I made you. I make one look, look like you. I got my kids here at Addison. He's almost, he'll be 16 in September. Cadence is 13. And my beautiful wife, Casey, they're here. They're in 3D. A lot of pastors show pictures. I just bring the 3D. Yeah. <laughs> my youngest is seven. He's high-functioning autistic. He's uh, with the children back there and doing an awesome job. My son looks a lot like my youngest son. My son came to me and said, give me what's mine. First of all, I don't got nothing, bro. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> All right, here's a visa, right? <laughs> In that culture, I wish you were dead. And the father said, take it. And he divided his property between them, verse 13. Now many days later, the younger son gathered all he had, right? Many days, because it would take a while to get it, and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. Verse 15. So he went and hired himself out to the citizens of that country and sent him into his fields to feed pigs. So first of all, he becomes a pig farmer, shepherd, which means he was in a Gentile area because you would not be having pigs in a Jewish area. He's sent off. He's way out of his homeland. And listen, everything breaks down. He has all this money and he spends it on things because people will be attracted to what you have because it's something that you can give to them. But as soon as he loses everything and the famine comes, now he's in need. And look what it says. He gets to the point to where he's lost everything, and he goes, okay, what am I going to do? How am I going to get out of this? Well, I'm just going to pull myself up by my bootstraps, and I'm going to go get a job, because I can do this. I can work this back, and yet we see he's out on the opposite story of where he grew up in, in a Gentile area with pigs, and he still hasn't come to the end of himself. The Father often lets you go 
until you get to the end of yourself. But he's not there yet. Look at this. Even with losing everything, he's not there yet. I could still do it. I can get a job, verse 16. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And look at this. And no one gave him anything. Listen, that's rock bottom. When you've got the stuff, people want you, want to know you. You've got all this money. You've got all these things. Who are you? When you lose it all, you hit rock bottom. Okay, well, I can do it. I read a good self-help book. I got this. Come on, Tony Robbins. He just said I'm really good. Every day's Friday. Let's go. He doesn't hit rock bottom where he's longing to even eat what the pigs are eating until no one gave him anything. This is relational depravity. This is, he lost everyone now. He lost people. He lost relationship. He lost community. And he's at rock bottom. So what happens, verse 17? But when he came to himself, it took that. Who am I? Because I don't have people telling me I'm something. I don't have anybody anymore. Who am I? He came to himself. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. All of a sudden he goes, maybe my father's not so bad. Maybe. Me wanting to experience my freedom because I was just bound by what my father wanted. Now that I have Maybe, man, he's taking care of people, and I'm working with this guy, and he won't even give me the food that the pigs have. So he comes to his senses. He says this, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, watch this. He starts going through it, and pay attention, pay attention. Father, I have sinned against heaven it's God, not just you, but I recognize against heaven and before you. Understand when you sin against your brother, your father, your neighbor, you are sinning against heaven as well and the created order. He says this, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So what is he doing? He's doing what we all do, and he's rehearsing what he's going to say when he gets to his father. Because he could show up and his father says, kill him. What are you doing here? His brother might say, no. So he's rehearsing just like you and I do. Pastors do this often. Ben probably did it this morning because we about once a week have to have a hard conversation, don't we? And you're in the shower, like, you know, scrubbing, and you're thinking, okay, this is what I'm going to say. This is probably what they're going to say. This is what I'm going to say. And I'm rehearsing this. How am I going to say, ooh, don't say that, crew. Well, calm down. Like, you have to rehearse it. This is what I'm going to say because this is an important, this is life or death. I need to know what I'm going to say. No longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Here we go. Verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. He headed back in the direction of the father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. Right? His father's working in the field or hanging out at the house and he sees him coming. In other words, he's been looking, he's been waiting, he's been longing and his father, it says, ran and embraced and kissed him. You understand, in this culture, fathers don't run, right? You're going to expose yourself if you run because you've got these 
right? Woo! I'm like, all right, Dad. He embraced him. He kissed him. And watch this. Look what he rehearsed. Remember, he rehearsed. And son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. What was the rest of it? Do you remember? Treat me as one of your slaves. Did he get to it? No. Father's not even listening. Because it's not about a perfect prayer with this father. It's about the direction of the person. It's not about the perfect point and the perfect way to say something. Because repentance and going to God, God's not interested in you just going to him to get to your destination. But he's just interested in your direction heading towards him. And you see the father cut him off. I don't even want to hear the rest of it. Look what he does. But the father said to his servants, not even talking to him, servants, bring quickly the best robe, identity, a new identity, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, royalty, fought sonship, and shoes on his feet, comfort, and bring the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Great story, right? Powerful story. When we hear the story, we're going, what a great, because we understand Jesus saying, this is my father. This is how great God is. This is why the sinners and tax collectors are coming to me because I'm welcoming them. I'm saying, come in. I've got a new identity. I've got a new story for you. You thought God was this way, and this is how generous God is. So much grace. So much love. So much so he's like, baby, you're home. All right, we're going out back. Like, let's do this thing. We're getting some steak. Right, I grew up watching White Man Can't Jump. We going to Sizzler. We going. I used to love that movie, man. Like, this is what's happening. We just got him back. And we end and we stop the story and we go, man, that's powerful. But there was another son because there was another crowd. Jesus continues. Now, his older son was in the field. What is he doing? He's working. He's dutiful. He's responsible. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard the music and dancing. He's out there slaving in the field, working, and he hears... He's like, what is happening? I heard music like that. What is going on? Does he go and run to his father? And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. Why is there music and dancing? What is happening? And the servant said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back. Safe and sound, verse 28. But he was angry 
and refused to go in. How many of you guys in here are the oldest sibling in your family? Anybody? Yeah? Okay. Younger? 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 Okay. And don't, middle doesn't count. Y'all you know, never count. Y'all never count. Right. Sorry. So my, my daughter. Yeah, sorry. Love you. So I grew up as a younger brother. I have a sister two years older than me. But when my parents divorced and my sister went off, I ended up inheriting two younger siblings. I remember being in an apartment complex with them when my parents divorced, and we shared an apartment, uh, a room. So I had a seven, uh, an eight-year-old and a five-year-old living with me, and I'm a 15-year-old, and it was interesting. This is my first taste of like I'm the the big brother. So I have a little bit of both, and here's what I know about both. Younger brothers, the younger person, the younger sibling, they get whatever they want, man. They can get away with almost anything because parents are tired at that point. <laughs> They've already raised one, right? It, it's the whole adage and, and comedy routine you hear all the time of like the passy falls out first kid and they get it, they sanitize the second kid, they just kick it to them, right? <laughs> Because there's something about, I've already done this. I mean, I kind of know this. And so the younger brother kind of grows up like that. The older brother had like rules and regulations. And the younger brother's like, yeah, it'll be okay. Because you kind of relax as a parent. And so younger brotherness kind of has this wild spirit. And I want freedom and I want to get out. But older, for the most part, older brothers and and sisters and siblings have this sense of responsibility. Like? And you look at the younger sibling go, and that person's just an idiot. You don't even know. You don't know how hard it is. I remember when mom and dad just had me. It was hard. But here's the deal. Both want freedom. Both want good things. Both want the attention and ultimately the gifts of the parent. But we go about it in getting it very differently. The younger person usually goes, I'm going to go explore the world, I'm out of here. The younger person says, I'm going to be responsible because what I understand is you get good things when you do right. See, I'm going to be responsible and I'm going to do really right and then I'm going to earn it and I should get it and it's mine and that's what I'm after. Yet younger often say, well, I can't get it here so i got to go out and get it. And older brothers go, yeah, but you know how dumb that is? You're going to go wild, you're going to end up in prison, then you're going to be stuck. Why don't you just obey and do right, and then you'll get good things? This is the dutiful older brother who was angry with the father. Let's keep going. Almost done. I love this. Jesus continues with this narrative. His father came out and entreated him. Both cases. Younger brother used everything, spoiled everything, all of the gifts, everything. The father runs to him, embraces him. The older brother is out. I'm sure the father hears about it. Why has he not come in? And the father goes to him too. God loves the religious people too. And he comes to them too. This is a good dad. I want this dad. He entreated him, but he answered his father Look, these many years I have served you. 
I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, doesn't even call him my brother, this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes. You killed the fatted calf for him. And the father said to him, son, the Greek word here is actually my child. Oh, I like this father, my child. You are always with me. The older brother's focused on what he's doing. The father's focused on relationship. And all that is mine is yours. Now, this is literal because this is what's called a primogenital general culture. And so within this type of culture, you have the firstborn that would get that two-thirds inheritance, and the other, the younger, would get the third. He's already given the third, but now when he comes back, now it has to be split again. So who loses? The older brother. That's his inheritance. That's his land. He is the one writing the checks while his dad is partying. This is why he's angry, and this is why he says, it's mine, it's yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. What is the story Jesus is trying to portray to these two people with these two sons? At the end of the day, here is the story. All of us want an element of freedom. All of us want the gifts, ultimately, of God, the goodness of God. We want the kingdom without the king. We want the gifts without the giver. We just go about it in different ways. The younger brother says, I'm going to go out and get it this way. I'm going to give it now, and I'm going to go and and do whatever I want with it. And the older brother says, no, I'm going to do right, because then I will deserve it. He He will earn it. He will have to have it, because the father will have to give it to him. And both, both of them, even though they did it in dramatically different ways, were after the heart of the father. They were after the gifts of the father. They were after his stuff. So the father says, he took my stuff and left, but came back for a relationship. You worked for my stuff, but won't come in. He left and had to become a slave as a pig farmer before he came back. You are outside. He calls himself, I'm slaving He was trying to get back to be a son, even just wanted to come back to be a slave. You already feel like a slave. He wanted my stuff, and you just did good to get my stuff. And Jesus drops the mic. The story ends there. And we're going, wait, 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 what what else? And that's the point. They were grumbling because Jesus is inviting sinners and tax collectors. How dare he? 
We are the pious. We are the elite. We are the right. How could he do that? And Jesus says, they've hit rock bottom. And they want me. But I think Jesus was also concerned that they just wanted him for his stuff too. He's feeding thousands. He's healing many. And yet he knew the religious elite were just doing right in order to get good things from God. You ever have this happen where something really bad happens in your life? And you don't understand why you're sitting there going, God, and I'm praying, I'm believing. Man, I even fasted like a whole meal. Dude, dude I got the Chick-fil-A salad. Like, you see this? Why is this happening to me? And you start shifting your direction away from God. Well, I guess I just got to figure it out myself. Maybe I'm just doing something wrong. And at the end of the day, God's going, are you doing that for me or for you? Are you trying to earn my love? It's already yours. And those hard things that happen in your life, you're not a slave. You're a son that is in a world at war. There is a greater story. But the best thing that you have is a father going, I'm here. Will you come into the party? The younger brother's in the party. The servants are in the party older son question mark it ends there and I think he's posturing himself looking at the tax collectors and sinners and saying come in instead of grumbling and complaining about your life or how things aren't going good for you or why I'm welcoming these people come and party with us come home Come home to this father. And Jesus leaves it like this going, you're an older brother who's standing outside mad and pouting because you don't want the father, you want his stuff. And the most beautiful part about this story is the gospel narrative. Jesus is called the son of God. He is the greater older brother, the only begotten son that saw our desperate state in the world where we have all gone astray from God and left him. And he decided to leave heaven and the comforts and the riches of heaven to come here, be born a slave of a kingdom, understand agony, hunger, pain, ultimately dying naked on a cross. Why? As a better older brother that said, you know what? I will sacrifice my inheritance and my portion so that the younger brothers can come into the father's house. Jesus is looking at the older brothers and say, I know you won't do it. I will. Because I, even in the midst of pain and agony, I only do what I see my father doing. I'm passionate about my relationship with my father. I'm not interested in just the worldly goods and gifts that God has to bring me. I'm interested in him. And my direction faces him. And his direction always faces me. 
this is a powerful story. This is the story that you and I have in the very DNA of our church, of our lives. This is not a judgmental story, but ends with, want to come party? You want to be with this kind of father? See, as long as you pursue other things, you're going to get to the end of yourself, and all you have to offer is yourself. And if you're looking to serve God just so you can kind of get the point system and so that God will bless you, you're missing the point too. The greater story that we have is this gospel narrative that points us to Jesus. And we go, wow, what a father. Thankful for an older brother that would sacrifice for me. This is the narrative that we have to share with our culture. This is the narrative that we embrace, that we, just like Christ, is full of grace and truth. This is the greater story that we have to share to a world that just hears judgmental and your Christians just telling me to do good and y'all sound like you're just saying, do this, do this, do this. That is not our narrative. Our narrative is it's been done. He's done it. Wow, we get to the end of ourselves and go, what must I do to be saved? And you go, look at him. I say this all the time in my church on judgment day. You're going to stand there. And, and maybe if it's asked, why do you deserve to come into heaven? You're not going to go, well, you know, I was a pastor and I, had the, and I grew this church from like 27 people with crickets all the way up. Or I did these things, I gave my money and my time, my effort. You know, I volunteered. You know what you're going to say? You're going to point, you're going to see Jesus. You're going to go, that guy right there. That's it. Him. Because of what was done, not because of what I do. And, but here's the crazy part about knowing this narrative and this story. Once you do that, now your whole heart's in to doing good things. Because it's been done. Not in order to earn. It's a beautiful story that... We're not sharing very well in our culture. And maybe it's because we don't know it. Maybe we have Russian trolls in our head that are telling us different stories. Maybe we have fake news in our life and it's telling us different stories. Maybe we're believing the wrong message of Christianity. And Jesus comes in and says, here's your story. Now go. Go tell everybody else about how to get into this celebration. We're going to worship as we close. I want to invite you to stand to your feet as we start to worship. And I want to ask you, with your head bowed and your eyes closed, with your head bowed and your eyes closed, everyone in here, where are you in your story? Who do you relate to? I know I easily relate more to the older brother. I can get into earning mode so quickly. I have to be reminded who the father is and that he loves me. My question to you this morning as we close and begin to worship is what story are you living in? 
in whichever story, here's the question. Have you come to the party? Is there joy in celebrating the life that God has given you? Is there joy in the Father basking in his love and relationship? With your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you're in here and you say, you know what? And I'm that older brother. I feel like I've just been going and going. I don't sense the love of God. I don't feel like I'm doing it. For I'm just doing it. I'm in duty mode. Everybody in here with your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you're saying, that's me, I struggle with the love of God, man, I just, I'm just going after it. Raise your hand real high. Come on, don't be afraid. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hands all up. That's me. I'm struggling because I'm working. I'm toiling. God, I pray for those with their hands up, with their hearts open to you, God, that you will flood your love all over them, God, that they will not see themselves as slaves, but as sons and daughters of an amazing, gracious God. Lord, I pray right now in Jesus' name that they will see Jesus and experience Jesus in a powerful, new, fresh way. If you're in here and you're more of a younger, you've gone astray, and you've gone away, and you've done your thing, and you're going, man, I need that kind of father. I want you to raise your hand right now. Anybody in here? Thank you. Thank you. I want the father. I need the father. I need to come in. Lord, I pray, Lord Jesus, right now, that there will be no shame, no guilt. Your word says those who are in Christ, there is no condemnation. Father, bring them into the party to celebrate, to know you. And I want to encourage everyone that's raised their hand to find somebody today to pray with. We're going to worship and we're going to pray. It's so good to have someone you can come to the party with. Let's worship and let's praise our amazing Father, in Jesus' name, amen.